The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman was raised by a single mom in a small town. Even though she wasn't raised in a big city, she had big dreams of how she could change the world. She went on to receive an undergraduate degree and later two master degrees. Then in 2008, Barack Obama was running as the first black presidential candidate, and she quit her job to do all she could to help him become president. As a black woman, she felt strongly that she had to do all she could to make history. Two years later, she became the first African-American woman to manage all aspects of the personal residence of a city president as the Obamas made the White House their home. Today, she is embarking on a path to greatness as she works toward moving the needle on racism. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Angela Tennyson. Hi, Angela. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's my pleasure. Well, we have such a little time together, so let's jump right on in. As you embark on impacting racism, you are focused on what you call a more racial ethical lens in the workplace. Describe what you envision this looking like. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. We're jumping right in. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've worked in so many uh, sectors and oftentimes I was one of a few or the only in the room. So whether it's in financial services, um, even in government, I'm, you know, making first there and what I envision is more people that look like me in these spaces and not just in the space for the sake of being in this space, but in the space for what they bring to the table and that being fully valued and that even being in leadership, not just in the company, but even in leadership and really being thought of a thought partner in the various areas that, that the company has to run. So so if I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on that. So, so for what I'm hearing you say, for you personally, it's no longer acceptable that women, and especially Black women, be put on the sidelines, but that they be made right part of the marching parade. I love the way you say that. Yeah, because even in areas that have Black women there, um, we're not in leadership roles. And I think it's far beyond time for us to be in those spaces, in those seats. I mean, look at us right now. We have literally saved the democracy. And up until now, and even now, our, our leadership, our thought leadership, our contributions are still questioned. And I want that to, to stop. So I'm going to go a little bit, I'm going to keep on digging on you here, Angela. So, so why do you think, certainly uh, women, Black women are very capable. I mean, there are so many are so well-educated as you are. So there's no reason they can't stand their own ground in terms of work ethics and education and all the things that people look for in leaders. Where do you think the disconnect is? Is it totally in the the way the world views Black women, or is it a little bit of responsibility lies on both sides? Good question. I believe that this goes back to, you know, if we look at history, and we have to tell the truth about what has happened in this country. There was a very specific behavior to dehumanize Black people. 
There's no nice way around that. In order for Black people to be slaves in this country, they had to be dehumanized. And that still continues today. I mean, look at what happened at the Capitol. Compare that to the Black Lives Matter uh, protests. Black people are still not seen fully human. And if they're not fully human, they're not fully capable in the minds of the powers that be. Yeah, and that's a very difficult place to surmount above, isn't it? Yeah, it's challenging. And there are those, I usually, whenever I speak, I start with, you know, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And so I am very aware that I stand on the shoulders of those who have come before me and shed their blood, sweat, tears, and lives so that we can continue uh, this march toward progress. So you have led beautifully into my next question. Thank you for doing that. So as a Black woman, you told me you feel the need to show up in a way that impacts others' perception of you and other Black women. So share a bit more why this is so important for all women to realize, especially Black women. You know, this this has been uh, some of my own personal work. Like I said, I've been one of a few or the only in lots of the spaces, you know, even coaching. You know, I, I love personal development. And when I go to coaching conferences and certifications, I am often the only one in the room. You know, from a very early age, I was in the only African-American in the gifted and talented program. So this has been just a thread throughout my life. And so I was very cognizant of that. And I felt the responsibility to give white people a good experience with a black person so that the next time they encounter a black person, hopefully there would be some grace. Hopefully they would see them as just a little bit more human, more like them. I took that on for a long time and I've been coached around it. And it's been a hard thing for me to let go because I still feel that the dehumanization of black people um, still exists, as I just spoke about. And it is only through experiences and through interactions where that can be broken down. And so it's thankless work. It's work that no one asked me to do. And I'm going to keep doing it. So it's interesting. As you were talking, I had a thought that I'd like to explore with you. Wouldn't it be interesting if all the encounters we had with people we had with our eyes closed? Because even people listening to this podcast, if we had not brought up that you're a Black woman, they would not have any idea of the color of your skin. Yet, I'd have to question everyone listening. Do, now that we know the color of Angela's skin, does that impact how we listen to her wisdom? Because if I think that if we were in a world where our eyes were closed as we were interacting with people, that we wouldn't have that racism creep in and taint the way we see other people's talents and expertise. What do you think? Powerful question. You know, I've been reading Cass uh, Isabel Wilkerson, and she does a really good job of speaking to the fact that race is made up. It was created. We are so much like 99% so much more alike than we are different. So that's one resource I would recommend folks to just check out because she just speaks to the fact that it was made up. It's not real. It was created for the vision and for the benefit of white people. And to your point, Annette, if we could one day just see people for who they are, their value system, 
and not come with an immediate assumption about who they are and who they are not, the world would be a better place. Wouldn't it now? And we'd all be happier people, wouldn't we? Yeah, because so much so much that we carry would no longer be there. Right, right. Maybe I'll get to, to the work that we're here to do. Because God's created all of us for a purpose, and we're here to do something greater than ourselves, for sure. Yeah, that gets in the way. It does get in the way, doesn't it? Yes, it, it barricades our journey, for sure. So I'm going to move into a little different direction. So you have lost to death a lot of people close to you. And I know this has changed how you see the world. And you now work to not have regrets. So what would you say to others about letting fear stop them from going after they want, what they want so they don't have regrets? You said you were going right in, Annette. Here we go. The, the regret question comes from what I, I called, I was able to finally see it in my, what I call my legacy crossroads. And that's when I had been volunteering on the campaign for Barack Obama, volunteering so much, I was taken off to volunteer. And I'd actually gotten the call to say, you know, we'd like for you to join us full time. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, but, you know, I'm like, is that nights and weekends? And the person was like, no, that's like full time. And I know that that now means all the hours. (laughs) Plus the volunteer ones you were doing. (laughs) Right, right. So So it's definitely very, very full time, full time role. And so I was like, oh, I need to take a moment and think about this. And when I was thinking about it, I thought about a promise I'd made my my newborn niece who had been born in February 2008. And, you know, just I'd wondered when when she was born, I was there and I wondered what would the world be like for her and a whole generation to only know Barack Obama as president? Like that was the image that came up for them when they saw president, the word president. And just that imagery, right? What limitations might she not put on herself? What limitations might not others put on her? And just like the, the reshaping of minds for so many. And so I got the call and I was like, let me call you back. And in that period of time, I just thought, you know, if he didn't win and I hadn't done all I could to help him, how was I going to reconcile that? And so I didn't have a good answer for that. And that then meant that was my answer, right? I had to go do this thing because I didn't want to look back on regret. And so the two things that gets me moving is will I regret doing this? And is this in service to others? And whenever I am fearful or afraid or apprehensive, even telling my story, I didn't tell my story for so long because I couldn't reconcile yet how it could be in service. And then once that happened, even though I don't even like public speaking that much, (laughs) I do it in service to others. And so that's what I would say to other people. Ask yourself, you know, would you regret not doing the, the thing in front of you, the opportunity that has been given? And then is this in service? Will this help others? And I found that that's been a great witness test for me. Yeah, I think that is extremely wise perception of how we need to move the world. I really do. And in that, there is so much reward and joy, isn't there? Yeah. second job in financial services, I had the the pleasure and, you know, I guess the honor actually of working in, I see it now as an honor of working in debt claims. And there were so many people that had not even gotten their first retirement check. And, you know, I had to let their loved ones know, actually send it back 
like don't even cash the check that has been sent out and they never even cashed one. Right. And so I think we, we put off so many things. We think we have more time than we really have. And we think, Oh, when I retire, I'll do this. I'll be in service. I'll, you know, do some charity. Like we don't know how much time we have and we actually live our legacy every single day. And so, you know, I don't want to get to the end of my life. And I imagine many others don't want to be on a deathbed thinking, what if I would have made that call? What if I would have volunteered? What if I would have shared, you know, this piece of knowledge or mentored or just lent a helping hand while I could? And I don't want that for me. When I, when I get to the end, I want to be like, okay, I used all the gifts, talents and abilities that I had to make a difference in this world. Yeah. And I think in that place, there's peace, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a tremendous amount of peace for sure. Yeah, I hope that those listening take that to heart as well. So we're going to move in a different direction on you now again. So imposter syndrome can invade the mind of all of us if we're not careful. And it can certainly make us feel fear that others will discover we're not as good as they think we are. So my question to you, Angela, is how do you battle this so it doesn't keep you stuck in a negative place of fear? Yeah, I'm definitely a work in progress on that. You know, I've been lucky to have been a student of personal development for a long time. I had um, a mentor in high school that um, introduced us to a guy that talked about goal setting and um, master planning and didn't fully appreciate it then because it's like we had to come in and ours over the summer and, you know, watch all these videos. But that was really the beginning. And I'm so grateful for that now. Because I, then I found myself in Barnes and Nobles back when we can go into Barnes and Nobles, but in the self-help section. And even before I could afford those books, I was, you know, buying the coffee and reading them in there, you know, sitting crouched down at the, um, in front of the section, just trying to load it all up. And I believe that's helped me understand that there is this like negative chatter and try to balance it with thoughts are really everything. And really understanding that that's a negative thought, but I can replace it with a positive thought. And so that's that's one thing. But the other thing is being thoughtful of the environment and the people that I surround myself with. Been blessed to have people who have seen things in me that I haven't even seen in myself. And those people have called me up to do things that I, you know, would never see myself doing. And once I get there, I'm so grateful. And then, of course, there's more to do. And so those are the, like the two things I think that has helped me overcome this. And I say overcome, but I feel like it's a, it's a choice, a daily choice to not let the negative chatter, not allow it to overtake the positive work that I want to do in the world to impede me from moving forward. Yeah, I can see because it can be a very loud voice, can it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's annoying, isn't it? away (laughs) in the moment right and and it's paralyzed me many times and I'm grateful for the times that I've powered through but like I said it's a daily choice to not listen to that and to actually replace it and have a wonderful like support system that you can call and say hey I'm hearing this and I can't get rid of this negative chatter and so I have great girlfriends and mentors and sponsors that have said, oh, no, not today. We're not going there. (laughs) Right. And have been able to replace that for me when I can't do it myself. And so that's been extremely important as well. I had one guest on this. It was so brilliant what she said. She said when she would get into that negative chatter, 
she would verbalize out and have this conversation if she was out on the outside talking to herself. And she would say things like, oh, girl, we're not going there. Uh-uh, not today. You know, stop that. Nope, nope, nope. And it was, I, it really made me smile, uh, smile and laugh because I could just see it's like this uh, battle with yourself, isn't it? It's, it is a battle. It is. I love that. I love that. And so, yeah, so remember that. Have a little, con- get in the mirror and say, uh uh-uh, uh, Angela, we're not going there. <laughs> no, ma'am, not today. <laughs> but that sassy part of what you'd be saying to a friend, right? <laughs> yes. And I do that so often. And often because, you know, I had a conversation with a girlfriend just yesterday and she, you know, has the book uh, approval and just needs to get get over the hump and get it in and the final touches in you know, she's holding back. And, you know, I dug in, dug into her. I was like, no, ma'am, we are not doing this in 2021. It's not even the proposal. It's like the final edits of the book that's already written. And I was like, we're not doing this in 21 says, 2021 says, and, but I could speak to that so directly because I'm like, I was like, hope you're getting something. Cause I'm talking to myself as well. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling myself in 2021, we're not doing this, Angel. We're not doing this. We are, you know, stepping um, into our greatness, I'm stepping into my um, one step at a time and fighting those gremlins every step of the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So speaking of how we view ourselves and talk to ourselves, being a key person in the personal residence of a U.S. president would have been scary and intimidating to so many. So why do you think they chose you and how did you allow yourself to step into such an important trusted role? Good question. This is your bragging point here. This is your time to brag on yourself, Angela. <laughs> Why did they choose you? <laughs> well, it's interesting because when I was approached for the role, so this answer is twofold. So there's a, a friend who really had been offered the role, but realized that one, it was an awesome opportunity and it didn't really fit. Right. And so he kept kind of asking folks and asking folks and he came to me a couple of times. And by the third time, I was like, hey, this is not your job. This is my job. So you need to go turn it down and tell them, you know, the perfect person. And so when I got the call, I was very excited. However, I immediately had a like, oh, my God, like, what if they are who I think that they are? And I've like given up my whole life and to be in service. And I just told myself I could not. I just I'd be crushed if they weren't. And I had a wise mentor, you know, whenever those gremlins start talking, you better call somebody. You can't settle it yourself. And she said, well, what if they are? And it never crossed my mind that what if they are the amazing people that you think they are? And so that helped me move forward and say, "Okay, well, I'm here to serve. And part of the reason I was brought in was I was a bit younger than a lot of the staff. But there had been some challenges. And so I was like new blood with new energy coming in. And I also just had a heart to serve this particular president at that particular time. And so there was nothing was off the table. You know, I'd been an organizer. And so no job was too small. And because it was in service to a larger mission and that I internalized that from day one. And so that 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 was seen. And I loved loved, loved being in, in service in that way. I could have never fully imagined such um, an opportunity, but it was just part of the mission to serve. You're talking about who you surround yourself with. Think about that. Yeah. 
You got to see greatness on a daily basis, didn't you? Oh, man, on a daily basis. And what great teachers to have as I, you know, aspire to greatness myself. Yeah, absolutely. So, Angela, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, there's a piece of my story that, so there is a vision board in this in this story that right after the campaign, after I'd done what I believe was to get them to the White House, it did not include me, but I actually had a little more time than I thought I would between jobs and had been meaning to do this vision board. And I had friends calling me to say, hey, you should come to D.C. And I'm like, no, I'm in Charlotte. I'm from South Carolina. I'm in North Carolina is as far north as I ever want to go. But I had, again, some time to think about like what is possible. You know, now that he is president, you know, I'd done it to make sure my niece didn't have limitations. And I realized some limitations that I had for myself had come off. And so I created a vision board and I put the White House about north of center and it represented the like the administration. And so for a, a brief moment, I thought, huh, maybe I could go work for this guy that I worked so hard to put in office. And so when we can just have a glimpse of a vision for our life, like we have to speak it, we have to share it and not be afraid of it because it's put there for a reason. And I could not have ever envisioned all that happened after it, but I'm so grateful for the leap of faith to go on the campaign, even when everyone said, don't do it. Because we take for granted now that a black man had been president for eight years in this country at that time, it never happened. And so that leap of faith and then honoring the vision in my heart. And what I would say to women is to take those leaps of faith and honor the vision that's in your heart. And I think that's incredible wisdom to wrap up our time together, Angela. Angela, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your journey. I can't wait to see how it's going to continue to unfold because I know there's tremendous amount of greatness waiting for you. Thank you so much, Anna. This has been more fun than I originally thought it was. <laughs> you were nervous. <laughs> I was, I was, but it's been an honor and a pleasure. So thank you so much. And I'm so honored to be uh, now a member of one of the most greatest Absolutely, absolutely. And Angela is another great example of how women are challenging the norm making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <music>